Hello, everybody. This is Longhorn Confidential for Monday, October 9th. We're going a day early. I'm Danny Davis, the Austin American Statesman, uh, joined by Cedric Golden, Thomas Jones, Kirk Bowles. He's going to try to jump on here in a little bit. Had some business to take care of. He's a busy, busy man. Uh, doing his thing, but we are going to talk a little bit about the Oklahoma game, talk a little bit about the bye week, talk a little bit about midseason stuff all in this episode, but let's start first. Let's look back before we look forward. Um, Oklahoma, 34, Texas, 30. Uh, we were all at the Cotton Bowl. I got to say, a, see a very crazy game. There's a lot happening throughout the course of the few hours that we were in that press box, but the most important thing, uh, 15 seconds left, Dylan Gabriel, three-yard touchdown pass from Nick Anderson to win the game for Oklahoma. Dramatic come-from-behind victory for the Sooners. Uh, Texas is now 5-1, and 2-1 and one in Big 12 play. They dropped number nine in the AP poll, Oklahoma, which is still undefeated. They move up to five this week. They were 12 last week. But we'll kind of start off with that fourth quarter. A lot of dip- things went wrong for Texas. What went the most wrong? What bothered you the most um, in that fourth quarter from your spot in the press box? Thomas, we'll start with you. I think uh, Sark said it best at his press conference this morning when UT had first and goal at the one-yard line, and they tried four times to get in the end zone. Sark said it sucked. And and that, I think, encapsulated what UT's day was like. They just couldn't get it done when it mattered the most. You know, for a team that prides itself on having a big physical front, and, and UT does, they could not punch it in from one yard out on four tries. Simple as that. OU held them. OU beat them in the trenches when it mattered the most. And I think that's got to stick in Sark's craw along with the players. It has to. And when you look at it, the, the big, the biggest, the most dependable part of that team was the defense. And that defense just didn't answer the bell when it had to. There was no choice in the matter. You had to get a stop at money time. You had to get stops before money time. You go up and you take that 30-27 to 27 lead, and and I know he probably thought about going for a touchdown on fourth down, but uh, if it's me, I take the lead because I have the Texas defense, which has consistently gotten stops this season. Yeah. Didn't get those stops. And you allow Dylan Gabriel to drive the length of the field. And he did it, and uh, credit to him and Brent Venables and Jeff Levy for coming up with a great game plan against a talented defense but texas's defense has got to be better and man that secondary that secondary didn't get it done it was their worst game of the season and it could not have come at a worse time they couldn't make they couldn't make up for their deficiencies and maybe just maybe guys they haven't been that great on the back end all year and they it was mirrored because they've been getting great pressure on the quarterback on this day, they didn't get that pressure and those guys were left back there to fend and they didn't do a good job of that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the fourth, the first and goal, second goal, third and goal, fourth and goal failures weren't promising, but Texas still scored twice after that and took a lead. So I'm, I'm kind of willing to overlook those. I I think Dylan Gabriel is a very good quarterback. You know, he may be the best quarterback in this conference, but he still led that team 75 yards in 62 seconds with no timeouts in five plays with the assistance of a PI penalty and just had no problem. And there was at least two plays where um, either the player said afterwards or Steve said today that there was miscommunication and among the defenders, which shouldn't be happening among a, among a veteran group. That's a lot of 
veteran guides back there. And Dylan just made it look really easy, easy. And if I'm a Texas fan or Texas coach, I'm probably circling that a lot more. We can quibble a little bit with that field goal um, drive and kind of letting, maybe leaving too much time on the clock, but they, they kick for the lead and they, they, they got the lead. So, I mean, you got, you got to do what you got to do there, but just letting Dylan Gabriel just march it down your throat and step on your heart. Like he was Baker Mayfield was just, I don't want to say unacceptable, but that was pretty heartbreaking if you were if you were a Texas fan. Um, Kirk Bowles, uh, Steve Sarkeesian was on time today, but Kirk Bowles is apparently not for 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 us. He's uh, t- taking the Sark role. But uh, Kirk, uh, from your spot in the press box, what kind of bothered you the most about the fourth quarter and just kind of what you um, witnessed witness up there on Saturday? Well, I think listen to you guys. You guys have hit on it. I mean, they're in prevent defense mode. I, I just don't understand that. You know. This is a, a rivalry in a game that rewards the more aggressive team. And, uh, you know, for them to have playing a soft prevent defense and they have two miscommunications, uh, one right there in the end zone where, you know, Jaron Thompson and David Gabenda both, you know, they're on the same side of the field. So they say, you got this guy, I got that guy. It, it seems pretty simple. If not, I don't know if Texas had any timeouts left at that point or not, but uh, – uh, but I think that was troubling. And the other thing, too, is that if it were me, I would have put Anthony Hill on the field as a spy against Dylan Gabriel. He's their fastest linebacker. He's so much faster than Jalen Ford. He registered the only sack, which really wasn't a sack when he chased Gabriel out of bounds for a one-yard loss. You know, oh, he had his five sacks, and, and he had sack just one. That was a sack. Yeah, they kept that as a sack. But, I mean – and that's an adjustment. You know, Dylan Gabriel was was slippery and making yards, and you know that was a halftime adjustment. I think put Anthony Hill back there and said, "You go where Gabriel goes." So I thought that was uh, uh, a problem that they had as well. Texas, of course, gets kind of a week to recover. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. They have to keep this taste of this loss in their mouth for extra week because they're on a bye this week. Now we're going to play the role, Steve Sarkeesian. If you're the head coach of this football team, what is one thing you would like to address this week? Um, if, if I'm if I'm Sark, I'm just trying to get healthy. Uh, they That injury list was just kind of absurd. Jake Majors was a huge loss during the game. Jalen Catalong was hurt. Jatavian Sanders clearly was not hundred percent. Ryan Watts did not play this, this past weekend. So there's a list of guys they need to get healthy and need to get Cole Hudson. You know, he hasn't played in a few weeks and that's another start on the offensive line. So um, I have those guys in the ice bath the entire week and don't let them leave. They don't need to practice. They don't need to go to film. They just need to, they just need to get healthy. If I'm, if I'm running the show, uh, Kirk, Kirk, what about you? Oh, I'm right there with you with the health. And he mentioned Hayden Conn. Wasn't a hundred percent, and you know C.J. Baxter went a hundred percent. I was surprised he kind of played C.J. Baxter. I mean, you know, give those seven carries to Jonathan Brooks because you know, as we all know, you know, great running backs want that ball and they get better as the game goes along. And you, along, and you never know when he might break one. So that in the red zone that you know Stark touched on, you know, one for three in the red zone. They've now had uh, just eleven touchdowns in twenty-four red zone. Uh, events this year and that ranks I think like 63rd in the country that's something that they gotta fix you can't be relying on field goals back when every game matters now because they've lost their margin for error Thomas yeah yeah I kind of agree with 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 Duck Um, the red zone offense is troubling 
And it's especially troubling when you see a guy like Adonai Mitchell on the outside. He's a 6'4 matchup nightmare. Yet you don't go to him in the red zone that often. I mean, he was a non-factor in the loss to OU. You have to figure out how to utilize his size in the red zone. I mean, throw a fade, you know, throw it up there. See, see what um, see what happens. I mean, the odds are in your favor with that guy. You have to figure out some different things to do in the red zone. As Sark alluded to today at the press conference, Texas moves the ball. They move it up and down the field against anyone, but they're just not finishing the drives. You have to figure out what to work down there in the money zone. Said, what does what does Doctor Golden prescribe for uh, this this team during the bye week? Chicken soup, lots of chicken soup. <laughs> I would say, I would say, man. Find out who your best corners, defensive backs are, and 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 impress upon them. This is not Las Vegas. You are not Deion Sanders. Quit trying to get on Sports Center and play the clock. I mean, a couple of those tackles. If you just keep the guy in front of you, they they they're going to get tackled in inside inside the uh, boundary, and then they're going to have to use a timeout, or they're going to have to. Fight that clock, but you, but you are letting guys get loose, and you are letting fifteen yard plays become thirty yard plays. Malik Muhammad did it. Uh, Gavin Holmes did it. You can't you can't be riverboat gamblers when when you're at the most important part of the game. That clock was Texas' friend, and you look up, and all of a sudden they are just rolling down that field. That prevent defense prevents wins, and like I said, if the cornerbacks are questionable. Um, at best, they're going to get exposed against a good quarterback. And this was the first really good quarterback they faced with experience. And I don't know that they'll face a better quarterback this season than, than Dylan Gabriel. So maybe they will learn from that lesson. And and next time they're in that position, hopefully PK and Sark will send more than three. Uh, spy Anthony Hill or send Anthony Hill. But three weren't making it home. and. I'm sure they've been up nights the last two nights uh, replaying how they let that game get away. They should have won that game, guys. Before before the game um, started, we got to meet in the, um, I guess they converted the uh, dining hall into a little press area for Greg Sankey. The SEC commissioner was in the house and we were all kind of gathered in a scrum around Greg. I had Greg's security detail breathing down my neck, which was a little un- uncomfortable, but we, we got... Nice we got, nice sunglasses, though. Weren't those very, nice? Very nice shades on that that gentleman. No one was uh, no one was going to hurt Greg, although I, I do have to wonder why he was so concerned. If the Kirk Bowles is the biggest threat to Greg Sankey, I don't know if that's much of a, much of a threat, but um, I think one of the things that a lot of people want to hear from Greg is kind of about the future of this game once uh, Texas and Oklahoma moved to the SEC, particularly the time um you know traditionally in the last 10 years or so this has been an 11 o'clock kick with some 230s mixed in for a long time before then this was a 230 um 230 game it's never really been a seven o'clock game um at least while it's been on the state fairgrounds but um kirk we'll start with you since you've been to a few a few of these games Uh, when texas and oklahoma moved to the sec what is the ideal kickoff time for this game should stay at 11 move to 230 or do we need prime time on the fairgrounds? What What do you think? Let me ask you this. Is uh, 9 a.m. too early? I mean, 
you know, maybe you know we've had breakfast at Wimbledon. We could have breakfast at the State Fair, be something deep fried and very healthy. Uh, you know, I love the eleven a.m. game. Uh, the main reason is it's because it's because of us and our agenda. We actually get in the paper on Sunday morning. That's first and foremost. But you know, the other thing, I don't know how long it took you guys to get out of the fairgrounds. It took me like an hour. Uh, to get out of the parking lot just to get to, you know, 30 West. So uh, can you imagine if this is prime time, the traffic jam that there's going to have? And then if you have all day long to drink uh, lemonade or maybe a stronger adult beverage, I mean, and you're going to have 46,000 pissed off people on one side just itching for a fight. There's all kind of, you know, things that could go wrong. So, uh, all serious to the side, I love the 11 a.m. game. And that one, that had to be a top five game for me. Like you said, Danny, I've seen a few of them, maybe 50-55 in person. But uh, I think 11 a.m. just works. And I think, I don't know about you guys, Greg acted like this is kind of a, I don't know, what words did he use, Danny? Kind of a healthy uh, atmosphere. I forget how he termed it, but I'm fine with it 11 a.m. He said he's a college football fan. Yeah, and he he'd never loves been this before. Atmosphere, and he said Texas, Alabama at Texas last year was an SEC atmosphere, and he was just really loving being in and Dallas. He, now, and, and said you're now. right. He he he'd never been before, so now you can tell Brett Yormore what the experience is like. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll yeah, that's a cheap shot, a good one. Um. Has relatives in that area? No. <laughs> no. 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 On prime time. Do you want the cops in the fairgrounds, or do you want them on the streets outside the fairgrounds? That's that's the question you're going to ask yourself. That game cannot be played at nighttime. Not a good idea. Two thirty, okay, maybe. I like eleven because I like getting out of there at a decent hour, but, um, yeah, it, it would sell prime time under the oh, yeah. light. It would sell, it would sell, but I just don't see them doing it. And if they do, um, I'll just take an Uber to, to the, to the state fair <laughs> and leave my car at the hotel. And you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I'm here for the chaos, man. Let's kick it off at 7 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> let the chips fall. Let the corn dogs fall where they may. Let the hubcaps fall where they may. I'm curious to what it would look like. But really, it would be it'd be a scene. Um, do it once. Let's see how it goes. That's what I say. <laughs> there, was, there was a game in this rivalry where the fans were throwing beer bottles onto the field, and Daryl took his players off and put them in uh, in midfield and said, you know, if they got the arm to you know, hit us from there, I'm going to have to recruit them. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And they weren't playing night games then, so who knows what mayhem could ensue. What do you got, Danny? I, I say stick it at 11. Granted, I know every year isn't going to be exactly like this year, but I thought the weather was perfect. I thought the atmosphere was great. You know, for times that there is college game day on, on the fairgrounds, I think it works seamlessly just to have – Everyone go straight from game days to straight in the stadium instead of having to go do something for three hours or whatever, however long that gap is. I think 
kind of in the morning seamless. It's nice with the weather and that gives people plenty of time to hang out and do whatever they want afterwards after the game, whether it's, you know, do, you know, do fair games or eat whatever they want or have a couple of beers. Um, I, you know, if prime time, I think that's too much dead time during the day. Um, and then the afternoon, you know, if it is a little warm, that's a lot of time to be out in the sun um, throughout, throughout the entire day. And that may be too many beers beforehand and af- afterwards, although that's just getting a little pricey. I don't know if uh, mm-hmm. I, I was glad, I was glad that Gannett was putting my bill for some of my, uh, Court my tickets because those tickets are not uh not as cheap as they should be. But I'm 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 cool with sticking it st- with it staying at eleven. But we will have to see. Uh, Greg was a little evasive with his uh nailing down specifics about when this stuff is going to get announced. But hopefully we'll find out sooner rather than later. Um, at least Kirk wants to know. I know he was uh leading the charge in in that press scrum press scrum. But uh, since we are at the halfway point and uh, we don't have a game to talk about um in this segment of the of the podcast let's kind of do some midseason awards um since we are six games in we're gonna go first with a midseason mvp then we'll talk about the midseason moment that stands out and then a midseason prediction um midseason mvp since i'm sure we probably all have the same guy we're thinking about i'm just gonna go first since i want to kind of seem smart here and don't want to seem like i'm copying but obviously i think it's jonathan brooks i mean he running game was a huge question going into the season for obvious reasons with Bijan and roshan heading to the nfl um Jonathan wasn't even expected to be the starter, um, but, you know, CJ uh, was banged up a little bit at the beginning of the season, and Jonathan took that ball, and he has not let go and has played very, very, very well. So kudos to him. I'm sure there's a lot of guys in that locker room who knew this was coming, but I I wasn't guessing it before the season. So I think by far he is a clear um, MVP. But if anyone has, anyone else has any other guys they want to nominate, you can go go right ahead. Kirk, you're, you're up. Oh. Jonathan Brooks, like you said, has been brilliant. He's been spectacular. And I, I don't think any of us thought he was going to be this good. I mean, he had a chance to lead all of FBS in Russian. He's been phenomenal. Uh, and, hell, what do you have? What do you have? 21 carries Saturday is like – I know this wasn't TCU all over again when BJ and I got 12, but I'd have been happy with Jonathan Brooks getting 20. Uh, 30 carries so but I, i'm gonna go with quinn as mvp he's 17th in the nation in passing he's like uh, 11th in the nation among power five quarterbacks 11 touchdowns three picks one was deflected off of jatavian sanders and uh you know he's completing 70 percent of his passes and uh, without him i don't know if jonathan brooks would have the numbers that he did and he's been under duress i mean they're they're getting to him and I think we probably didn't come away as impressed as we should have been by his performance to have two interceptions in the first 10 plays and then to complete 29 out of 32 passes against that pass rush was very uh, impressive. So uh, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Quinn Ewers one, Jonathan Brooks one A. EJ? I, it's, in my opinion, it's got to be Brooks. I mean, Quinn's been great. Um mm-hmm. He made he had three turnovers in the biggest game of the year. Um, Brooks, I mean, who would have thought he would be the leading rusher in the nation among all Power Five schools? Seven hundred twenty-six yards a season. Guy named Kamani Vidal of Troy, the only FBS back to have more yards than than Jonathan. Um, great season for Brooks so far. I think he should probably get more work. Even uh, we'll see how it goes the rest of the season, but he's going to get over fifteen hundred yards on the year. Taking JB. Enough said. 
All right, we'll move on to kind of the mid-season moment, whether it's a highlight, whether it's a overall moment. What was this one thing that kind of stood out um, from um, this first six games? Said we'll start with you since you went last in that last uh, round. The fourth quarter against Alabama let us know that Texas is a legitimate player nationally and that Texas could actually be in the CFP. That hasn't changed. They still have a chance to get there. But that, but going into that environment, falling behind and having Quinn Ewers bring them back and winning going away, I thought uh, was a signature moment in the fr- in the first half of the season. Uh, everyone on this call knew that or knew or suspected that Texas would beat OU, so we were surprised that happened. But uh, the Alabama fourth quarter stands out to me. PJ. But yeah, I, I agree with Sad, and it was that that moment right after the game in Tuscaloosa when the UT players are going over to their fans, and Danny got some good video of that, and just celebrating with that, you know, not large but definitely vocal uh, contingent of, of Burn Orange faithful. Um, it felt like UT had their SEC moment already, even though they're still they don't join till next summer. You know, it felt like they belonged with the nation's elite. It felt like they belonged with the big boys. I think that's a memorable moment, and I think that could be a defining moment of Sarkeesian's tenure at Texas if they continue on their trajectory. Kirk? You're on mute. That that was uh, Sark's signature win without question, you know. Uh, And it was a cool moment, just, you know, how quiet that stadium got at Tuscaloosa and having Vince Young there saying, Hey, it reminded it of his win in Columbus when they they knocked off Ohio state. And uh, as uh, TJ said, it it kind of stamped them as legitimate that they're a real contender. I was looking up the stats as far as uh, uh, chances to, to win outright. Uh, And I think uh, they've, they've got like a 9% chance to win the national championship 32% 32% chance to make the CFP. So it's all out there in front of them. But that that was just a special moment. I think uh, a lot of Longhorn fans are going to make. And then the other thing was his 29-yard touchdown run against Baylor when you guys were all there and he tightrope the sideline where I think Quinn kind of took his game to another level. And we've seen his ability to run a little bit and uh, – create another uh, weapon for defenses to have to worry about. But, yeah, Tuscaloosa probably going to be something we all remember for a long time. Yeah, yeah I think my favorite player from the Alabama game was um, Xavier Worthy's touchdown catch, the 44-yarder, in part because we had all been waiting to see a bomb. Um, <laughs> you have uh, John T. Cook in the background doing his Dwayne Wade impression, uh, knowing that Xavier was going to was gonna catch it. Um, obviously, it was a pivotal moment in that game. But I'm actually going to kind of go a little bit outside the box. And um, I think my kind of moment is actually after the Oklahoma loss in the sense that now we get to see what this Texas team is really about. Um, we get to see how they bounce back after a devastating loss. We get to see how they, you know, go into this bye week and attack it if they're angry, how they come back at Houston. We've been around this program enough where we've seen one bad loss turn into two bad losses or three bad losses or, we hear we've heard that cliche. We can't let Oklahoma beat us again, or you know, such 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 beat us again. So 
we're going to kind of see if this is a new a new Texas in a couple of weeks when they play Houston. Maybe Houston's a bad example because this Houston team's not great, but you know BYU is coming to town the week after that, and um, obviously you get Kansas State and a trip to trip to Ames coming up after that. So I'm really interested to see kind of what the kind of that I don't know if embarrassment's the right word, but kind of what losing to Oklahoma does to this team um, as far as their mentality going forward. And if they truly can set up that rematch um, at AT&T stadium in a couple of weeks. So I'll pick that as my, my moment, although I think Alabama is the actual correct answer. Um, <laughs> but, you know, speaking of a possible rematch, uh, let's do a midseason prediction. Um, Kirk, what's your prediction? What are you expecting? Um, could be a one game, could be a big picture thing. What's your prediction for what's your, one crazy prediction that we're going to have on this podcast as opposed to nine things this week. I'll go way out on that limb and say Texas does run the table from here on out. And Quinn gets an invite to New York city Ooh. and all four of us get to go cover. Ooh. Well, that part's incorrect. The last, last prediction, I can already tell you that's, that's not going to happen, but TJ, uh, what's your, what's your guess? He's not there to carry Gabriel's luggage. I hope. Uh, look, wow my, i'm kidding my <laughs> prediction has to do with the ut player though anthony hill is gonna emerge as a star and i, I think agree. he's gonna be used more on the edge than at linebacker because david bend has been playing well at linebacker alongside jalen ford look ut needs more of a pass rush um baron sorrell and, and ethan burke have been very quiet on the edge i think you need anthony hill and kind of that Micah Parsons pass rush role, they have to do something to get some pressure from the edge. And I think Anthony Hill is due for a massive second half of the season. I like it. Said. Prediction? <laughs> Dang. Always. <laughs> no, uh, look for the reemergence. Jordan Whittington. He's a hidden treasure. He had he caught eight passes in that game and didn't have as many reps. I think with 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 Jatavian Sanders being a little banged up, that he could he could enter that role as the possession chain moving guy. We already know that Quinn's comfortable with him. I think he's gonna get more targets moving forward. Yeah, I go I, I think the cake prediction is Texas and Oklahoma play again um in in December. I do think the tough. I'm going to call the toughest game left on the schedule. I think is going to be that Tech game. Um, that's my crazy prediction. I don't know if it's that crazy. I'm not. I think TCU's down. I think Kansas State has been was a little disappointing to see the way they played uh, last week against Oklahoma State, Houston's, uh, Iowa State. Not I don't, that trip. Maybe a couple of years ago would have been pretty scary. I think for some Texas fans going up there in November, but Tech. Came into the season a lot with a lot of expectations, has not lived up to them, but they've, um, you know, coming off a decent win against Baylor last week. And with the commissioner in the house and everything that happened a couple months ago, I, I would have to say that um, there's going to be a lot of motion and a lot of um, a lot on the line that game. So I think if there is a trap game on the schedule for Texas, I do believe it's the tech game. But I do believe Texas runs the table and gets to. Arlington and we can we can talk about rematches in December. But um as we said, it's bye week. What's everyone doing the bye week? I think we're I think we're gonna take Charlie up to the the pumpkin patch this weekend. Any big exciting plans for everyone over the bye week? Or are we just gonna rest up and relax for BYU? I'm a sicko, so I'm gonna go watch some high school football. <laughs> Mine mine's kind of a secret, so but I'm just gonna take a few days off. 
said. Yeah. You got so when Kurt when Kurt gets back from his trip, um, <laughs> I'm not going to out you. Thanks. You're not, he's not going to Vegas, so whatever else <laughs> is boring. So he's not going. Where are you Vegas. going? Where are you going? Me, I'm in Tyler right now, but I'll be back in town um, on Tuesday. Um, there's people at my house if you're thinking of breaking in, and they'll shoot you. So, um, but I'm going to interview George Foreman as part of the Dan Jenkins Excellence in Sports Writing event on Friday at Headliners Club, uh, where we're going to honor Bill Roden and a couple of excellent sports writers. And then also, um, I'm, I'm going to also take a little time. And we do, Kirk and I do Season for Caring every year, our holiday campaign to help the needy through the statesman. So we're doing those interviews this week as well. Awesome. If you need your fix the Longhorns, there's a couple things going on with some of the other teams on campus that are not idle. The volleyball team, which is uh, seventh in the ABCA poll, they're actually going to Houston. I'm going to get a sneak peek of the, the, the Cougars this weekend. They're playing uh, Houston, which ranked 21st in that same poll on Saturday and Sunday afternoon. On Sunday afternoon, the soccer team is also going to be at Houston uh, for a matchup, so you can get a lot of uh, Texas-Houston um appetizers before next week if you want to make your way down there on sunday and the soccer team is also playing at oklahoma on thursday so we got another red river rivalry game um, with the other the other football um actually this this soccer team is good as opposed to the austin fc mess so you can possibly uh, go see some good soccer if you want to make the trip up to norman on thursday but um, I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, if you want to read any of our content throughout the week, it's on statesman.com. Um, we appreciate you listening to us um, wherever you get your podcast or watching us on YouTube or, or the website. But yeah, um, we'll be back next week to talk all about the Houston trip. And so enjoy your off week, enjoy your weekend, and we'll see you all down the road. Deuces.